Welcome to my world. It's time for our trucking technology and efficiency show. And today is the first time we're going to broadcast this right from spaces. I believe uh, I've got everything set up. It looks like we're also broadcasting to our app. So our podcast broadcast app, if you have that, you could be listening live on that right now, or you could be here in the space with us. And uh, it looks like the space is filling up pretty quickly here. So thanks to everybody. I'll give you a quick rundown on what this show's about today. So I have got with me a couple of guest hosts. In fact, I'm looking for them right now so I can bring them in as hosts. Um, hey, uh, Joel, Henry, um, Jamie, if you're here, request to be a speaker because we have so many people in here now. It's, right now, it's hard for me to find anybody. So if you're in here, um, look around somewhere on your screen. You, you should see a, uh, a request to join, and then I'll be able to find you. Mm. Is this Joel here? It is. There we are. Um, Joel, I just sent you an invite to speak. Uh, just accept it and then unmute your mic. Let me see if I can find Henry in here anywhere. Or Oh, there's Henry. All right. Henry, same thing. I just uh, sent you an invite. Accept it and then open up your mic. Now all I have to do is find Jamie. Where's Jamie? Joel or Henry, I hear somebody. Uh, I think I'm there. here. All right. You sound great. Awesome. Too. Good. Henry, how about you? Nope, Henry hasn't accepted the invitation yet. <laughs> yeah. Still, yeah, right. he's, yeah, he's there. Uh, Henry, yep. is that you? I am here. There we go. Boy, you sound good, too. I don't have to fight with everybody's volume here, so that's kind of nice. I don't see Jamie yet. Well, he's, Hopefully he'll he's probably up. driving, right? He, he probably is, or he's working or doing something, so we'll see if... Uh, Jamie jumps in and joins us. So this show, I'm just going to give everybody an idea. We've been doing this show for how long have we been doing this now, Joel? How long have you been joining uh, us? Two, three years now, I guess. I, I think so. Man, yeah. did that time fly. Yeah. Wow. Henry, you're a more recent addition, but you're you're a regular co-host now, so thank you for that. Um, this show is mostly about fuel economy. Um, it really is about efficiency across the board, though. So both Joel and Henry have tons of experience with their own authority, with being leased, with owning trucks, with getting great fuel mileage. But we also talk about other areas of efficiency, lowering maintenance costs. Those go hand in hand with fuel mileage strategies many times. Uh, increasing revenue by being more efficient. We, we talk about all kinds of things, but we, we really focus it on improving the bottom line. How, this show is all about putting more money back in your pocket. And we spend most of our time on fuel economy because that's your biggest opportunity. And we have got some fuel mileage superstars now. Um, Joel and Henry, obviously, are leaders. Uh, Joel, his specialty is Volvos, Volvo drive lines, Volvo everything. And Joel, I want you to, in a minute, kind of give us a, a rundown of, of what you do, your operation. You've got trucks. Your family's got trucks. You've got, you know, 
alpha drivers and your consulting and your programs with Volvo. You've got a lot going on. Henry is really the same way with Freightliner. Henry, Henry's got direct contacts. He works with the engineers. He has really, really worked out maximum fuel mileage on that platform. And Henry, I want you to tell your story. Uh, Jamie is that way with Mack trucks. And Jamie learned from Joel. You know, we, we all learn from each other. And then people grow and become great resources. And boy, you know, in, in your fuel mileage groups, you two are way more active in there than I am. I scroll through now and then. Uh, how many guys would you say would, would make great guests on this show that would bring something unique? Oh, there's quite a few. Um, you know, everybody has a, a different kind of concept on and and how they want to achieve fuel efficiency and you know my mindset is in one place you know i i've developed some ideas over the years on how i prefer to do things does that mean that i'm right and everybody else is wrong of course not there are a thousand ways to to skin the cat so to speak when it when it comes to fuel efficiency and you know henry's going to have some different ideas so there are some some guys out there that are are performing at a very high level that you know do things um, a little bit different, and you can always learn something from somebody that has a different take or a different perspective on something. So there's there's a lot of opportunity to to kind of grow the the knowledge base for sure. And that's the beauty of being able to. Oh, there's Jamie. Uh, we'll bring him in. I just sent him an invite, so Jamie is here with us. Um, Absolutely. And the beauty of this format here, I know it's frustrating some of our listeners because I'm jumping from the live app over to spaces every day now. This is a much better format for this. We'll continue to build ours out and we may eventually use ours for this, but this has a lot of advantages. One, the technology. Um, Joel, I don't know that your audio has ever been this good on our show. Well, good. Good. Yeah, it's it's clear. It there's I hear zero background noise. It's really nice audio, and we we have struggled to try to pull that off, you know, in our infrastructure right now. So that's an advantage. The fact that we can just have ten of us in here talking, and I don't have to try to manage ten phone lines and audio, and that's a huge uh, advantage. The other thing though is is we're reaching new people, people that haven't heard us before, and they're going to jump in and have things to say and. Hell, yesterday we had a call from a Rwanda truck driver. <laughs> nice. It, it was nice. so cool. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, it was. It was fun uh, to to hear from somebody in a totally different country that trucking is so wildly different than what we have. Uh, that was fun. Mm -hmm. There, there's. I, I can just see this space going on and on and on. I, I'm not going to be here for a long time today. I have. Um, I've been doing five and a half hour days of talking and, and it's um, I'm a little wore out. So an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours here for me today. Um, I, I still need to learn about spaces. Somebody said that if I started it and I drop out, it goes away. I thought I could hand it off to a co-host. We got to work that out. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of potential here. I think this is going to be an awesome show on this platform. I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you guys for cooperating and, and jumping over here. Absolutely. No, I think this will be fun. Yeah. So real quick, Joel, since you're already talking, give us your background. You know, get, get the Reader's Digest version, when did you start? Tell us about your favorite. Sure. So Alpha drivers and Volvo and all that. I, stuff. I've been in the industry. Um, really over 35 years um 
our families always had trucks. Um, you know, back in the early days, the trucks weren't the primary primary source of revenue we had trucks to service customers for our recycling business and i wasn't all that interested in the whole recycling thing and i i love the trucks and i jumped in trucks and was driving from a very early age around around the yard you know dropping trailers picking up trailers and one of the one of the kids that was in a truck at you know eight nine years old that that type of thing um i've logged just over 5 million miles in in my career here and I know as as a guy that's you know just into his 50s that's fairly young for that many miles but I came yeah, I came right out of high school balls to the wall I nice. I just drove every every mile I could possibly I, I just love to drive uh, and still do I, I prefer to be on the road I am not an office person um our family business uh, kind of trans uh, transferred out of the recycling into pure trucking over over the years. My my younger brother runs uh, Ploger Transportation, which before that was Morrow and Sons. Um, he's running about a hundred trucks now in a fleet situation. Um, I had plenty of opportunity to go into the office and work. I just can't stand being in an office. I am not an office person. Um, and, 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 and I don't like dealing with fleet situations. Um, as fleets grow, it becomes more of a, a human resources type thing and an economy of scale and bean counters rule. And, and um, that's just not me. Um, I, I've, I, I've got to be out on the road hands on. I, I love to play with the technology. Um, through my time at Ploger Transportation, my brother's company, um, I was head of research and development and uh, purchasing. So uh, I spec trucks and I made a lot of very strong inroads to um, engineers that, you know, specifically work on helping you spec trucks. Um, one of the Volvo engineers very early on kind of took me under his wing. We, we just had a really good rapport right off the, right off the bat. And, um, he essentially educated me. I, I mean, without that guy, I, I would not be where I'm at today in, in terms of trucking knowledge. Um, let, mm-hmm. let me jump in there real quick. Um, so you and I have a similar past. We even grew up near each mm-hmm. other. We were both in Ohio, not that far away. We both focused on fuel mileage really, really early when fuel was 80 cents a gallon. And people used to call me an idiot. Why, why are you working on fuel mileage? It's 80 cents a gallon. Um, but I did. It, it was kind of my obsession. And I know you were the same way. We came to a lot of the same conclusions, even though we never knew each other. You know, aerodynamics, rolling resistance. We could go on and on and on. The one thing that you brought that I I thought I had studied everything you could do on a truck to get better fuel economy. And you learned this through Volvo, this idea of engine architecture. Correct. And, and something we never looked at. I didn't understand piston speed instead of RPM. What a what a wild concept was the first time you shared that with mm-hmm. me. So that that 
you know, you brought like a whole piece. I thought I knew everything about fuel economy. Well, I knew I didn't, but I, I, no matter how hard I looked, I couldn't find anything. New. And and what and and what's what ahead. is really odd with with this piece of the puzzle when we start to talk about how the internals of the engine are laid out and and that parasitic drag and pumping losses and piston speed. We start talking about that. That is the primary driving factor in fuel efficiency, and we all missed it for decades (laughs) and so you know we we talk about you know tuning a truck or putting a turbo on or a manifold or something that that's all band-aids um it can help in certain circumstances what applies universally across the board is piston speed the lower the piston speed at any given road speed the better your efficiency is going to be there's no way around that joe joel can you take a minute because I think in a lot of people's mind, if they understand internal combustion engines, they're, they're thinking, well, wait a minute. We talk about RPM, and RPM is how many times the, the pistons revolve in the cylinders. Correct. Isn't that piston speed? <laughs> and, and it seems like it should it, be. It, it, but it's it, not. It, it is and it isn't. <laughs> so you're right. exactly right. So. Engines can be running identical RPM going down the road and have vastly different piston speed within the stroke. They're going to end up at top dead center at the same time, but the speed of the piston is going to be different getting there, and it all relates to stroke and uh, the rod to stroke ratio. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about the engine architecture, the the. I, I like to look at the foundations of, of an engine, and to me, that's that's the crankshaft and the connecting rods. That That is the foundation. You, you know, how strong is the block? How strong is the crank? How strong are the connecting rods? And how are they configured in the engine, and how does that impact your piston speed? Um, and it it's really interesting once you really start to dig into this, and this is something that Volvo really has spent a lot of time on and they really made some significant changes to their engines as emissions were coming into play what 2007 i i think that's the date we went from d12 to d13 in that time frame 2007 8 9 right right in there and so there are major differences between the d12 and and the d13 in, in regards to that engine architecture what we see today is that there are two going to be three engines on the market that were specifically designed to accommodate emissions and that is the d13 the the detroit products both the dd13 and dd15 and even the dd16 they were all designed specifically with emissions in mind and it looks like the new navistar engine obviously being the newest that's going to be the newest design on the market that was designed specifically for emissions then we have the Cummins, which that design dates back to the ISX, some pre-emission stuff, and that engine was not specifically laid out with emissions in mind. And the same thing with the Packard engine that, that came over from Europe. I, I don't think that was laid out specifically with emissions in mind. So you see there's a divide there, and there's an architecture different in those engines as it relates to piston speed. And... Uh, you know that's something that I, we're just concentrating really hard on is is getting that engine architecture right, lowering the piston speed, being able to run at lower RPMs, while also the the speed of the piston through the stroke I, is more uniform, as well. I I just 
I just thought of something. I'm going to interrupt you mm-hmm. again because I, I, I think I might have blown it there. Mm-hmm. I, I want to introduce you and I want people to understand how much experience and knowledge you have in this. And, and almost all of us, Henry, mm-hmm. um, Jamie, myself, uh, and we all kind of have specialized in a couple things. But I almost feel like by asking you about piston speed, we just jumped in on the advanced course. <laughs> and I want to take a step back. I, and no, I got you. I got you. I know. I, 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 I wasn't thinking here's what i'd like to do first we have so many new you know normally we can jump into this deep stuff on our show because the people have been listening to me on fuel mileage for 15 years and you for three or four with me now and but we have a lot of new people what i want to do is talk about why we spend so much time on this and the potential the average truck today the average over the road class a truck if we do all segments average at all at 6.6 miles to the gallon that is pathetic um i was achieving sevens in the early 90s i know you were too Mm -hmm. Um, and we've done nothing but progress from there what is your i also want to explain to people when we talk about fuel mileage we don't put out a number that we don't cherry pick it from one trip where you were light and going from Denver to Kansas City with a 40 mile an hour tailwind. We don't do that. If we put out numbers, we tend to stick with 30 day averages. That really tells us this is something we can continue to achieve. We didn't get lucky one time. Um, what is your okay, let me- highest? recorded 30 day let me bring up your on on this particular truck right now my lifetime on is i'm at 10.2 lifetime this is a newer truck i'm just breaking fifty thousand miles on it Um, my highest recorded 30 day is 11.47 that that is my highest stop there I want people to understand what we're talking about here. 6.6 is what everybody's achieving. Big fleets, small fleets, everybody combined. You're doing 11 and a half. Somebody, I I may do the math here with today's fuel price while somebody else is talking. So um, you were 11.47, right? 6.6. All right. At some point, I'm going to do the math, but I'm just going to try to rough this in with my head right now on today's fuel price. We have a difference here of five, almost 5.8 miles to the gallon. Mm -hmm. Um, That's incredible. (laughs) It is. So, and that's almost today's fuel price, about $8,000 for every mile per gallon yeah you're you're right around that area but what what's even more because it changes actually even more interesting than just the fuel mileage savings itself and it is significant there is no doubt about it but it's also well let me let me let me do that math real quick if we call it um let's call it five more miles to the gallon we're talking about $40,000 a year in fuel savings. Okay. Now take that $40,000 and put it in a little bucket over here. Now here's something to think about. So in the past, you know, before we understood the connection between the piston speed, we were just talking about that we were starting to get off into weeds on and the parasitic drag and your productivity. And this is key to a lot of people. It's productivity. Um, this week, I had the opportunity, in fact, it was just yesterday, I ran out of Reno coming out here to Salt Lake City. And that's a pretty good uphill climb the majority of the way. I broke it into three sections. The first section I ran at 66 mile an hour. 
um, 990 RPM in, in overdrive. And I done, I got 20,000 pounds in the box, axle up. I done 10.6 on that first 150-ish miles. On the next 150-ish miles, I was running 75 mile an hour at 1,050 RPM, and it was 9.9. On the third wow. leg, I ran 82 mile an hour yeah. <laughs> at 1,200 RPM, and it done 9.5. So today, Incredible. understanding how piston speed, parasitic drag, all that geeky shit we talk about relates now we can start to improve efficiency while maintaining the fuel efficiency gains and we can reduce our maintenance costs because there are a lot of benefits to the reduction in piston speed. So to me, as geeky as it sounds, the piston speed is everything in a diesel engine, in a heavy-duty diesel engine, and keeping it as low as possible has multiple benefits. Incredible. Great stuff. Um, you know, again, I, I I wanted you to give your whole story. I think it's going to take us a couple episodes. There, there's so much there um, that you're doing. One of the things I do want to go back to is because you're still involved with the family business, mm -hmm. Ploger, you have that insight into things like productivity and keeping drivers happy without, you know, killing them with fuel mileage stuff all the time. You've got that. Sure. Both of those. You, you're yeah. So and that's a that's a big deal. So, you know, my focus was on all always primarily owner operators mm -hmm. and and one guy in one truck you do things significantly different than if you have 10 trucks and drivers or 80 trucks you, and drivers. It, it changes. you are 100 percent correct fleets primarily focus on economies of scale small operations should always focus primarily on efficiency you have two different focuses and therefore your your day-to-day -day operations are going to look significantly different for an individual operator to look at ups or to look at schneider and say i'm going to do exactly what they're doing you're probably making a mistake right yeah yeah so you have that that nice insight from years of the family business and um it ploger is a, a I know this might be a bad word, but in this sense, it's not. Ploger's very progressive when it comes to business and trucking and um, drivers and fuel mileage. And they're, they're not out there doing the same thing everybody else is. Uh, they got their shit together. I, they just do. Uh, yeah, they, they, really they run do. a very yeah. tight operation. It's about 100 truck fleet nowadays. A very profitable fleet. They're out there on the cutting edge as far as fleets that size can go. Um, you know, I look at it myself personally and I'm thinking, oh my God, they're in the stone age. But when you, <laughs> when you look at it from the fleet perspective, they're out there. I mean, you know, there's Messiah right. Valley, there's Nussbaum, there's Ploger, there's, you know, a, a couple others that are, are very well known for, for efficiency. I, I mean, when I was there, we won the, the green fleet, the top 50 thing, I think three times. Um, and, and so they, they definitely have their. They're uh, poop in a row, no doubt. Absolutely. All right. Um, Henry, still with us? Yes, I'm still here. And we want your Reader's Digest story. Well, I started driving in 83. My childhood dream was to be a train engineer because it had a lot of wheels, and I always liked wheels. <laughs> Railroads weren't doing so good at the time, so trucks were the – they had 18, so that's where I went. Uh, started out driving for private cars, originally as a fresh chicken hauler. Then I went to another private care where I started flatbed, and in 96, 
I started on my own authority as a flatbed carrier, which is where I learned a lot about aerodynamics was on flatbed where everybody said aerodynamics didn't matter. They mattered a lot. Um, I had one overdrive driver, owner-operator of the year, which is where I met the Freightliner people where they were introducing the Cascadia, and I got involved with them with what I'm doing currently at Team Run Smart. That was also the first time I met you. Was at Louisville that year when you got the award? Right. So, right, right now you were asking about the averages. I don't have it all in front of me, but my 90 day is 10.89. I haul automotive parts, well, truck parts actually. And uh, my best month was 30 day average was 11.82. Wow. And on this current trip which I have 42,000 pounds of engines in from Detroit down to where I am now. And I had to go onto some secondary roads because traffic out on the interstate was terrible with the holiday, but I'm still sitting at 11.3. Fantastic. Now, I just want to stress to people, these are real numbers, tracked pencil and paper, actually with our app a lot of times i know a lot of you guys are using our app and some other things fuel gauges these are real numbers this isn't a cherry pick trip this is true 30-day averages and i know there have to be a lot of people out there going so kevin to to address this just real quick guys um so one of the things that i do is i cross verify my by hand via the engine ECM. And I'm always looking at our lifetime totals. So when I go into fuel gauges and then I run the IFTA reports, I can see exactly how many gallons that I've bought over the time frame. And then I look at the engine ECM total gallons burned and I am within, you know, just several gallons of each other on that. There's always a little bit in the tank that the engine hasn't burnt that the ECM, you know, might not show, but it is essentially within a half a percent which is so those are those are real, real numbers. numbers they are not fudged in any way it's cross-referenced we also spend a lot of time calibrating the dash in the truck we've talked about so we know that that readout is correct i know henry does all the same stuff we're held to a very high standard because we're putting out fuel efficiency numbers that are frankly quite unbelievable to most people so that well, data has to be good let me let me make a comparison. I, I may be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. When we look at all the super truck projects that have gone on that have spent hundreds of millions of dollars, there have been several trucks out there, they're really not producing these numbers. Well, Kevin, let me address that part. So I've been around the super truck. Matter of fact, I've ridden in it, not the current one, the pre- previous one. And the duty cycle that they have to report on and how they test is so much more extreme than what we do. I I know. Adding to that, they take the driver out of the equation. I got to do a fuel mileage test one time, and it drove me crazy. They said, all right, you can't be a ringer. Every time you take off, it's got to be at full throttle. Yeah. Which... We, yeah, we could go deep down that road because we know the driver is still 20 or 30 percent, even right. with all this technology. So I, I just think it's incredible that in the real world on 30 days, not, you know, test track. And you guys are killing it with these numbers, really. Absolutely. And I just want people to understand that they're real and they're achievable 
Um, you know, we, we did our signature truck project back in 08, 09. Um, we were able to get nine miles per gallon on a 30-day average out of a truck back then, which was a pretty incredible number. You, you guys were doing the same thing at the time. The problem with that truck was it was incredibly complicated. I, you would never sell that truck to a fleet. It wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. It required a good, knowledgeable owner-operator to be able to drive it right and get the fuel economy out of it. Well, that's that's changed a lot. You two are both driving trucks that you can buy right off the showroom floor. Well, sure you can. And what I'd add to it, one of the big things that gets our numbers to boost up a little bit higher than what they normally would, through goading each other, through competition with each other, right. through well, – we're always pushing each other. If I hear Joel got a better number than me, well, I got to get a better number than Joel next time. If Jamie got a better number than Joel, I'm sure Joel's the same. Uh, that, 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 that friendly competition, as it may be, you know, be, between yeah. all of us. And, and, and then you got uh, – between all of them in that group, everybody's always pushing each other to be – better than they were yesterday yep yep hey speaking of jamie um jamie i made you a co-host in case i drop out of here this thing will keep going um are you able to speak i know he's muted right now but i'll give him a minute here i want to hear jamie's story too jamie might be busy here's the other thing i all of you guys you're out there doing this every day slightly busy oh there he is (laughs) fantastic um yeah, he just caught me delivering some uh, attachments here for Bobcat, so the, the party never ends. Did I see you had robots on your truck? Yeah. Are, yeah. Are you trying to spread this AI stuff around? I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Skynet pays pretty good, like I said. There you go. It's good stuff. Tell, tell us your story. Well, I mean, like I said yesterday, uh, just... Uh, Decided to come at it a different way than than everybody else comes at it with the chrome and speed and decided I needed to save money if I was going to make it the second time in trucking. Been at it since, oh, well, my dad drove trucks kind of like, you know, Joel's situation. You know, you start driving when you're really young and then got my CDL when I turned 18, literally two weeks after I turned 18. Prior to that, South Dakota didn't have a CDL law, believe it or not. Anyone and everybody could drive a a commercial vehicle in South Dakota. So I started driving those when I was 16. So I've been at it uh, 30, what, 33 years now? And you're still a youngster. Yeah, yeah, 49. <laughs> yeah. I got uh, 4 million miles, like Joel, like I just nice. love driving, took to it like a duck to water, and spent my whole life just doing it. Uh, now that I own a fleet, I spend, I'm still trying to stay on the road, kind of fighting that. Uh, it's not the easiest task to try to manage a business and drive at the same time. So if I seem frustrated in times and uh, when I'm not on the phone, when I should be on the phone, I'm, you know, usually on the other line or, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we get around. it. We, we get it. But that's that's part of the show. I, I want the people in here that are doing this every day. Yeah. I'm so definitely give us doing some- it every day. So, you know, Joel's the Volvo platform. Henry's got Freightliner coverage. You're the Mac guy. Tell us about some of your numbers. Yeah, well, um, let's see. Been kind of hitting it hard this month. Been getting some great mileage with the uh, the robots. Believe it or not, we're doing about 12.3. Nice. But they only weigh 6,000 pounds. 
There you go. <laughs> there you go. That but helps. That's, that that, helps. that's part of this. You know, if, yeah. if you have the ability to pick and choose your freight, you can pick it for fuel economy. Why wouldn't you? Right. Right. I wish I could pick the fuel economy. I just take the best paying stuff. I don't care what it weighs. Because <laughs> we do pretty good. You know, this stuff does pretty, you know, that's the one thing I will, you know, Joel talks about adaptability on here. And you, you couldn't be more accurate with this platform. Uh, you can haul heavy. Uh, I got one guy doing step deck and he was just telling me this morning how much he's hey. just impressed uh, with his Mac. He was just out and uh, loaded in Elko, Nevada. Uh, 45,000 pounds of uh, borite, and uh, he brought that up to North Dakota, and he averaged 7.8. So you know, I, I yeah, I want to jump in here. I forgot, Joel. I've got some bad news for you. Okay. You know, the other day we talked about how Volvo should be the the premier heavy haul platform. Uh oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, I, Mac. Come on. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There it's you go. It's the same drive line. It's actually, you know, always been kind of known as local construction, heavy duty kind of stuff that mm -hmm. uh, I, I think I'm going to have to give that title to Matt now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, think, I, I think I'm about to drag Western Star into this mix. Uh, there. <laughs> Good. We got some competition going here. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that so, competition. yeah, so, uh, you know, we've got a lot of listeners in here, and I, I wanted to get through the background of everybody, and, and you know, let's get back to the, the real core of this show. Everything we do, really, all of us, I know we get geeky about it, and we get competitive, and we just look at that fuel mileage number, but really, all of us, our focus is always the bottom line. It, it's not just a fuel economy. We, we all make decisions based on that balance between fuel economy and productivity and revenue. Yeah, that, that's 100%. 100% yes. It, it, you cannot, and, and I made a statement, I think, on the last show, if you were a mechanic, you could not just work with a 916th wrench. You have to have every wrench in the box in order to, to work on a truck. And it's the same thing with speed. You know, speed is just a tool. Um, it impacts mm. your maintenance cost. It impacts, obviously, your productivity and your revenue potential. Is there one set speed that is magic and it works in all situations? Absolutely not. That That is just a bad strategy. You might put up some really, really nice fuel efficiency numbers, um, but when rates are high and fuel prices are low, you could have lost that on a bunch of revenue as, as well. So you've, you've got to, you've definitely got to balance that. Um, you know, Henry's been preaching that and he's done a lot of work demonstrating some higher speed stuff in my particular duty cycle. I can get away with lower speeds doing some of my multiple drop stuff, but like on my load coming back off the coast, heading over to Rhode Island, um, I'll be, I'll be running across there a little bit faster. So, uh, yeah, definitely. You've got to you've got to look at the whole picture and take a holistic approach to trucking and transportation. You just can't get tunnel vision and focus on one specific area and forget about the rest. Yeah, and speaking uh, I, of that, I, uh, I, of the, the the different areas, let me just put this out there real quick, and then you can go, Henry. Um, I, I started to write a book about fuel economy a couple years ago, and I, I may go back to it now. But one of the things that I, I was looking at when I wrote that book was all of this, the different operations. And 
I started to make a list of all the things that impact fuel economy. Now, some of these things we can change and some we can't, but we should still be aware of them all. I stopped the list when I was somewhere in the 80s. 80 different (laughs) things I could point to and say all of these things could have an impact on your fuel economy. We could Mm -hmm. talk about this stuff for years. Definitely. Can always find something new to talk about. Yeah. So, Henry, go ahead. Well, that, that's what I was going to say, you know, and everybody's operations different here of late. I've been having 3,800 to 3,850 mile weeks consistently for like the last 15 weeks. Well, you have to use speed to be able to log that. Uh, yeah, exactly. And you found a way to use speed and still be as fuel efficient as you can at that speed. Exactly. Knowing, we all know, you can never be more fuel efficient at 70 than you could be at 60. It's physics. You can't do it. But what we're talking about is let's be as efficient as we can possibly be at 70. And and you guys have worked out, you know, ways that the truck can be fuel efficient at 55 and 75. Well, what's funny when you say that, people say to me, how do you hit the numbers that you hit? And my goal every day that I leave, it doesn't matter if it's in a blizzard. My goal is to do the best on fuel I can for that day, given the conditions I have. So if that means that was the best fuel mileage I ever turned in a blizzard, that's my goal that day, to to do the best I can in that. Perfect. Right. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah, a- attitude and mindset. Is, that's a powerful thing in, in trucking. It, it just is. Um, if you're one of these people that are going, oh, that's all bullshit, and it's it's six and a half or seven, and that's the best you're going to do, then that's the best you're going to do. I don't care if <laughs> I give them Henry's truck or my truck or Jamie's truck. That's the best they're going to do. Their attitude has stopped them before they even turn the key. So That's a good it, one. Yeah, and it does. I mean, it really does. And and I've I've done this several times being in in a fleet situation where we've had sister trucks. And I'll be in one truck and I'm knocking down 10 and a half miles a gallon on a particular trip. We've got a guy that's just, you know, negative Nelly uh, and it just doesn't believe anything's possible. And he's getting 6.7 to 7 miles a gallon on it. And then we trade trucks. And I go right back to 10 and a half and he goes right back down to 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 seven ish you know what i mean and uh, so that is a very very powerful thing your attitude and your mindset and how you approach the day when you get up you get up in a foul mood and you're pissed off at the world things just aren't going to go well for you hey hey let's do this real quick because you and i and all of us here the speakers right now we could go on and on about this stuff and we get Mm -hmm. off into the weeds and we might be talking about things that they they're not quite following because we haven't built a base yet let's do this i want to open this up to the listeners that have questions about Mm -hmm. fuel mileage got a bunch of listeners on here um if you have any question at all about fuel economy or efficiency jump in ask us a question that will help us tailor the information to where you are. Um, when you look at, boy, guys, if we were to add up all of our experience working on fuel economy, we're past 100 years, aren't we? Just three of us. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Way past. <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah. lot of time that we have worked on this. You, the, the three of us could talk about this for, till the cows come home and, and much, much longer. But it would help us if we know where the listeners are and what they want to know. And, and the way to do that is ask questions. So um, all you need to do if you're a listener, request to be a speaker and uh, I'll bring you in and you can ask your questions. So otherwise you're just going to listen to the three of us talk and talk and talk because we can do this a long time. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start talking about physics and then we'll get all geeky and yeah, it, um, let's try to let's try to meet the listeners where they are. So purple paint codes. <laughs> Go easy now. <laughs> Go easy now. <laughs> You're not oh, making shit. fun of of Joel's Barney truck, are you? Hey, no. I, I almost <laughs> ran with that color. I almost went I, with that color. You know, as a I huge Vikings fan, you know, you got to run with it. I absolutely <laughs> love the color. I love you. Yeah. You yeah. love me. <laughs> well, we all know we all know Joel goes to bed singing that song to his truck. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Did you get green seats? Uh, no green seats. I was, I was thinking about putting some fluorescent green flooring in here and just completing the whole Barney look. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shoot. Uh, all right. Um, I still don't have. Oh, there we go. We got a request. Herschel, welcome. Yeah, the one thing I got to remember here is when you bring somebody in, it seems like it takes about 30 seconds for it all to happen and then to unmute the mic and all that stuff. So, Herschel, mm -hmm. if, uh, remember to unmute your mic. Are you here with us I now? I think I did. There you are. You're good. Go ahead. You sound great, too. Good deal. And by the way, Kevin, you've never mentioned this. If you're listening to the app, Twitter being the app, on the space and you're playing it over your radio in your truck your am fm radio when you request to speak the radio just quit playing and shut up so that did that that nice. did that all by itself i didn't know it would do that nice so joel mm -hmm. as you know i got the xe mm -hmm. and i've been doing mm -hmm. 55 miles an hour trying to save every nickel i can mm -hmm. save but at 55 mm -hmm. it stays indirect which is 1250 mm -hmm. rpm to get down to mm -hmm. the 1150 that they'd like to promote at 65, I got to do like 52, so that's a little slow. Would this thing have been better? Two things. Would it have been better with, let's say, 247, or would I be better to go at 61 or 2 and let it be at 1050 RPM, 1075? Because speed changes your fuel usage, you know. Right, right. So on the earlier versions, like the XE package, um, we were just really figuring out, you know, that that interaction between our parasitic drag and moments of inertia, and and you know how we can roll without fuel, and we can we can use the benefit of the uh, the weight of the truck. Um, so the earlier versions. When you start to compare them to th things like what me and Henry and Jamie are doing, they're not on the same same page by any stretch of the imagination. Um, here's what I will tell you: when you are when you're light, 
you're probably better off to bump it up a little bit. When you're heavy, you're probably better off to let it run in, in direct drive. Um, very confusing things around overdrive and direct drive. And, and um, you know, I, I, I think initially the, the drive was, you know, get everybody into direct drive because the transmission's more efficient in direct drive, which that is true. But there are other efficiencies that you're not taking into account. And when you gain that, that small amount of efficiency in the transmission, you're losing efficiencies in the engine. And you have to balance that. And typically the way you balance that is, as a driver, you think about how heavy am I and what's my power demand? Because we all know that horsepower has a relationship with RPM. Um, you have to have more RPM to get more horsepower. It's just the way it is. There's no way around that. So if you have higher power demand, then direct drive at higher RPM makes a whole lot of sense. If you're say under 60,000 pounds and you're on flat ground and the power demand is substantially lower, now overdrive will actually be more efficient than running indirect. And um, that's that's a point here that we've really missed um, uh, and we, we've kind of pushed into a bad direction saying run everything indirect. That's that's not a good idea. You need to use both your overdrive and direct drive, and it, it's all based on, on your power demand. So, yeah, when you're light, run it at 61 or 62 and over, and when you're heavy, run it at 55 and direct, and you'll be just fine. Well, the, the sad part for the route that I run, the speed limit is 60. So doing 65 will get me a driving award from the state which I'll probably get chick can for that. I already got fired once for this company because I forgot my seatbelt one day. Two months later, they called me. Oh, you want to come back? Well, yeah, why not? So, well, just then you're, you're kind of stuck uh, beyond uh, circumstances, beyond your control. You're kind of stuck in drive or direct. If you have a manual in that where you could put it in the manual and bump it by it hand, does. play with it. And, and you'll get the feel for it. But in general, when you're at 80,000 pounds, you're going to definitely want to be in direct. And when you're under 60,000 pounds, generally you're going to want to be in overdrive. Even at 60 mile an hour, you can play that direct overdrive game and uh, see some efficiency gains. How do I get last time? I found ahead, Kevin. Well, I found that uh, I owned a Volvo XE back in the day, back in 2012. I had about 500,000 on it when I got rid of it. 62 seemed to be about where it really wanted to be. So, you know, mm -hmm. up to 65, you dropped a few points in fuel economy, but 62 in that overdrive was what it really liked, even heavy. So just that's my theory. Okay, because 62 is only, it's barely 1,100 RPM, barely. Mm -hmm. well, the VG, yeah, she the VGT, that's, that's where the um, the... When you look at the, the brake-specific fuel consumption and the, the, that chart, it, it gets really good for the VGT right around 1,100, and that was always kind of my target RPM. Early on, I never really worried about speed. I was always, what RPM do I need to be in to hit a specific efficiency on, on the brake-specific fuel consumption chart? And 1,100 is kind of that magic RPM for the, for the D13 VGT with the unit injectors on it. Well, this one's common rail because it's an 18, but it is a VGT. Okay, so you'll have 
you'll do well then if if you can run it at 62 at 1100 it'll it'll do it'll do well okay joel last i talked to you well a couple times ago i guess i had asked you about the beer down protection there's some kind of a code you have to have to be able to set that and there is a parameter identifier yeah. and i have not gotten that yet for you but i i will make a note of it right now okay put it in my iPad, I will get that parameter identifier so you can get rid of that damn, that gear down. Yeah, but, Because if your gear down is on, you're pretty much stuck when you're in direct drive. You're limited to what, 60 probably? 62? In direct. I don't know. I never tried it because I drive it at 55 all the time. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to say my but, nickels. I have I, no idea. <laughs> I'll get that identifier for you. And, should I, and so instead of doing the gear down, they took, I don't know, I forget now what they even called it, where it gave me max torque in the low gears. Is that, is that and, going and to you're, hurt me? You're, you're fine. Starting no, off? no, no. You know no. what I mean? Efficiency no, if wise. you were, if you were, no, if you were in the mud and stuff like that, okay, it may be some issues with the drive shaft or the clutch, but as long as your default starting gear is you know first or second you're not trying to start out in third or fourth it, it's not going to make any difference in your duty cycle period you're fine well, it is first it starts in first all the time but like i said you can't mm -hmm. select two three four or any other gear now not even in manual they've got they've that got it they've got it shut off yeah well, can <laughs> yeah you get the number to well, they need to turn that back yeah, on can you get the number for I, that one too i mean why not I, send send me your vin number okay. um just shoot me a, a private message with your vin number and i'll, I'll see what i can okay. if i can look at your parameters directly all right i'll do that see what's going Thank on all righty awesome thanks. thanks all right boy i asked for a bunch of speakers and i got them so now i have to figure <laughs> out how to manage them all. um this is new for me so let's see i just dropped herschel so that'll open up a spot if somebody else wants to request i don't know how this thing puts people in order of who requested um so i'm just gonna go by what i'm seeing on the app and aj uh it looks like you're up if you want to speak if you do you gotta unmute your mic a aj either way if you're listening unmute your mic and let us know if you want to speak or not matt's here oh there you go matt okay. you jump in then <laughs> yeah all right uh well i got a bone to pick with joel okay what he was saying at the end of the show last week okay you just don't like cat engines or what? <laughs> well, I owned them. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. I, I owned them, and I know better. <laughs> I hate to be the bearer of bad news, buddy, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, it helps when you have a very careful driver. Um, listen, just about virtually any engine on the market right now, if you've got a guy that's doing the maintenance and they're driving carefully, it's it's going to be a good engine. I'll guarantee you, Matt, if I put you in one of these new Volvos, you would blow your oh. numbers completely out of the water. It wouldn't yeah, even have, be a contest. I have no disagreement yep. with any yep. of the facts it, you put out about yep. it. I, yep, I yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I got I got beat up on that pretty hard. I, well, I Every Caterpillar person in the world was kicking me in the ass for a week straight. So, no, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> well, and I'm not far behind all of you guys. Mm -hmm. I am 46 years old. 
And I am 135,000 miles shy of my 4 million miles. Nice. Nice. As an owner-operator. And Man. I've been in four trucks, all with cat engines. Wow. Nice. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Boy, we've got some serious experience in here. That's pretty well, awesome. Yeah, and I'm a numbers guy, and so that's, you know, Joel, the stuff you put out. You give the data behind it, which I think most people just gloss over. They don't pay attention to <laughs> probably, <data. laughs> probably. So oh, I want to go back to this piston speed mm-hmm. because to me, I, I start running the numbers, and mm-hmm. yeah, you talk about piston speed. Okay, well that's RPM. Well, that's one part of the equation. Yes. The other part is the stroke length of yes. said architecture. Yes. And I'm, I'm just going to use some round numbers here. So if we mm-hmm. idle a truck at 600 RPM, mm-hmm. which is 100 strokes per minute, mm-hmm. if you have a four inch stroke, which I believe the Volvos and the lower ones are four point something, and then the higher ones are five point something. Sure. Okay, so I, I just used round numbers. Four inch, that piston, so it travels eight inch eight inches per stroke four inches down four inches up mm-hmm. that is four thousand eight hundred inches or mm-hmm. four hundred feet per minute that mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're dragging that piston up and down against the sleeves yes a five inch stroke adds a hundred feet wow mm-hmm. yes that's a lot yeah and and Every minute. Here's here's something else to think about. So you're you're exactly right. So when we talk about piston speed over time, we're expecting to see a durability increase or length to overhaul increase because we are traveling yes. significantly less feet or miles, however you want to express it, yep. it that that piston's traveled. But here's the other part of it. So when we slow that piston speed down we are putting significantly less stress on the engine internal. So if you have a, a big bore cat with a great big huge piston with an elevated piston speed, every time that thing comes down and strikes that crankshaft, it's putting a hell of a lot more force behind it. And when you have a longer stroke engine, you have less journal overlap in that crankshaft, which further complicates the problem. So there's a, there's a whole lot of advantages to slowing down piston speed. And this is well known in the engineering community. If, you know, people that are old enough that can remember when GM and, and Ford and that, they introduced the modern V8 that had lower piston speed because they saw all these advantages. The engine was going to last longer. It was going to be more efficient. It put less stress and strain on the rotating internals. It applies to gas engines, diesel engines. We're just now really understanding how it really impacts the efficiency in commercial vehicles via that drag reduction that that um, I keep hitting on and harping on, and and Henry's demonstrating so well. Um, you know, you 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 can really have more opportunity to control inertia and moments of inertia and momentum, and and uh, really put up some spectacular fuel efficiency numbers. Yeah, and I guess. One some videos that hit home to me, you know, this is way before I even heard of you and all this talk and, and truck engines. But if you watch any YouTube videos on ocean-going ships, large, mm-hmm. you know, these huge, you know, ten thousand horsepower engines or whatever they are, 
Mm-hmm. The pistons are huge. They got a, a manhole door that you walk in and you can watch the <laughs> yep. connecting rod. Them <laughs> engines are turning at three and four hundred RPM. Yes. Very, very slow. And that, yes. That makes it more efficient. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and, and it, it applies universally across any brand, any OEM. It doesn't make any difference. The lower the RPM at a given speed and then the lower that average piston speed based on the engine architecture, that's the true driver of efficiency. We can talk about tuning, turbos, heads, all this stuff. Them are all, to me, essentially band-aids. Can they help? Yes, but is that the primary driver of fuel efficiency? It is not. It is the base architecture of the engine is the primary driver. And, of course, then you get into the discussion of why would somebody design an engine that's not built like the Detroit or the Volvo I'll or the I'll International? I'll mm-hmm. answer it mm-hmm. because I, I think this is the biggest reason. It may disagree or not. I, I think it's because the trucking industry hasn't really cared about fuel economy. Well, that that is part of it. Um, I, I think that was the primary reason we saw big displacement Cat and Cummins with very long stroke, with very short connecting rods. Because when you have a long stroke and a short connecting rod, you get that elevated piston speed, which feels good to the driver. That fast acceleration away from top dead center makes that engine feel like it's got a lot of power, you know. And it's response. Guys really like that. They didn't give a damn about the thrust load of the piston. We weren't operating at low RPMs because fuel prices were relatively cheap. We weren't worried about emissions, so we didn't care about the piston speed variation during the stroke. We didn't care about any of that. So that is an explanation why the American diesels kind of had the base design that they had. When we go to continental Europe, it's kind of a different story, and so this is kind of to me where I think we see some of the design cues on the PACR engine itself. To me, the, the D13 and the DD series, that was a global platform. It was meant to be sold everywhere in the world, comply with all kinds of different emissions. I think the PACR was more of a continental Europe engine where you're more in an urban environment and you're on grade more often. And when you are in that situation, RPM starts to become important because you're accelerating the truck, you need some power. So I think what they kind of do was try to lightweight the components to get as efficient as possible at higher RPMs because that's the duty cycle that engine was intended for. When we bring it across the pond and bring it over here, it's capable of some very nice fuel efficiency numbers. I'm, I'm just... You know, I like the heavy-duty nature of the Volvo, of the DD. When you look at the crankshaft and the connecting rods, they're much heavier. You pay a penalty for a heavier crankshaft and connecting rod at higher RPMs. Therefore, those engines need to be run at lower RPM. Probably the Packard and Cummins is a little more comfortable at higher RPM, no doubt about that. Um, they make horsepower at higher RPM, so they, they were definitely designed with that in mind. So um, you, you really need to understand that architecture when you're gearing trucks to say, am I getting the right gear set in here for the base architecture of the engine? Hey, hey, Matt, hey, the calls are starting to pile up. I'm going to leave you in here as a speaker, and I'm going to grab some calls. Uh, I've only this. got 12 miles, and I'll be at my delivery, so I'll just uh, leave hang whenever. Up, but... Hang up when you want. All right. Yep. I'm going to go through the people who have requested to speak here. If I if I call your name, uh, except 
the invite and unmute your mic and then talk to us. So, uh, Mick, you're up next. Jump in, um, unmute your mic, and uh, tell us what's on your mind. Take your – is that going now? Yeah. Hi there? There all you right, are. Cool. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, I'm just learning this stuff here. Um, we so, I, I, I'm kind of like Matt. I've got – I'm running an old brick truck pulling a parachute, kind of snow guy. But – not not that part, but the the idea of my cons. I was kind of a Dave Ramsey guy. I didn't want the debt, and I didn't want the risk of that in my operation. And so, but I want to make sure that of that twenty to thirty percent that the driver can do, that I'm getting all of that. I think I have a basic understanding, you know, mainly the driving slow, the the easing up through the gears, and the slowing down. Um, but I, all of you guys have driven the old trucks too. And I, I, I want to know, I want to hear more about what you guys did to climb those rungs of that ladder to get where you are, put it that way. Well, in, in terms of older equipment versus newer equipment, obviously when you get into the older stuff, it's much more limiting to a driver. When I step out of my new truck and I get into one of my brother's older ones, like an, an older XE package, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is horrible, you know, um, and and so it, it requires very very good trip planning. Um, that's key, uh, and speed management. Those are the two things that are required with older equipment because you're you're kind of boxed Wait. into this very narrow operating range, and there's not a whole lot Wait. as a driver that you can do besides exercising common sense, go easy on the equipment, limit your speed, and plan your day well. Hey, I, I, like I say, I think that's what I'm doing, but I just, I know, you know, Henry, for instance, you know, you've been a pioneer in this for years. Jamie, you said something yesterday about how you could beat your driver out of the water. I and mean, you guys touched on it a little bit, a little bit today, you know, what are those, what are those little differences that you think you do versus the guy that just doesn't care? I just want to make sure I'm collecting all of those and, you know, not missing something that way. Wow. Probably the the biggest thing is just throttle response. Just, you know, with an automated manual, the harder you push on the throttle, the faster it goes up the gears, right? Yep. But if you feather it, it's you're going to, you know, take your time, but you're not burning more than you need to. Also, idle time, you know, like sure. if you look at yep. Joel's numbers, his idle time's like, you know, single digits. Like the guy's a, a beast when it comes to that. I'm not sure he doesn't shut it off, shut the truck off, coasting into the truck stop. <laughs> but yeah. you know, I'm not saying a word. I'm not yeah, saying right. a word. Because <laughs> yeah. you know, I can get mine down to like around ten. His is usually like two or three, but most of my guys are, you know, you know, twenty, thirty, fifty percent. You know, just depends on what they want to do there. But sure. it's it, it's little. I mean, it, it's hard to even teach. I I call it hey. you know light footing, and that's. I mean, essentially what it comes down to. Hey, hey Mac, Mac yeah. let me ask you a question real quick. Do, do you have an instant read fuel mileage gauge in your truck? Yeah, I've got your scan gauge. And, you know, um, that, yeah, I, I worked, on, this, I worked on it. That, I would say this, that if all of us gave you our strategies, you, you'd get something from it, feathering the throttle, all those things. But really what taught me this stuff was watching that gauge all day long and trying different things. What, what if I'm did. in this gear yep, going yep, up the yep. hill? What if I kick, you know, 
into neutral here or, or and just watch that thing all day long and then your truck will teach you how to get the best fuel economy yeah okay right. kevin kevin add to that you know it, it's a mindset like where do you stop for break you know, right. It, it, right. You know, I try to stop for my brakes at the top of a hill. Why? I didn't have to exactly. Use brakes much to slow down, <laughs> and the backside of the hill gets me going again. You know? Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I remember. You know, I've heard people say different things like that, like only certain rest areas because you don't have to climb a hill to get out of there or whatever. You know, crazy things like. I mean, they're not crazy. That makes sense. It adds no, up. They are kind of crazy. They're a little nerdy, but they work. But, but yeah, I, and you know, I, I actually, not that I want to rest on this, but if I look through proper gauges with my 379 Pete pulling a parachute, Conestoga, the, the other guys with aero trucks pulling Conestogas, I'm blowing them out of the water. Now, whether they just don't care or they just, you know, or maybe they're company drivers that their owners set them up on. I don't know. I don't know any of them, you know, but I'm just saying I, so I, I feel like I've got it pretty good, but I, I, if there's anything else, I want to get it. Hey, something else I want to throw in, because I, I thought maybe you were going there with this question, but I just thought of it. We do talk about fuel mileage. You know, I get 11.2 or 6.7 or, and, and that's an important number but we said we're really focused on the bottom line. We're not just focused on the fuel mileage number. Maybe we should get more in the habit of using our cost per mile on fuel. Sure. That really kind of gives us a, a better picture of, are you buying your fuel right? Do you have a good discount program? That, that, that number would, and if we really want to do this, Everybody would have profit gauges, and what we would talk about would be revenue per mile minus fuel per mile. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I did adding, notice just a oh, – sorry, go ahead. Henry. Adding to what you're saying, uh, Kevin, and, and I got part of this from your seminar before I was doing it with just a pad of paper and pen. But doing it with a yellow legal pad and a red ink pen—that <laughs> was make one of my tricks. Yeah. More, but but yeah, I put it in fuel gauges. I put it in my IFTA report. But something about writing that down and putting a few notes as to what happened on that tank full, and something yep. about the red ink and on that yellow legal pad. For whatever reason, it makes you remember it. That like if it was a bad number, don't do that again. That's right. Maybe, or. And and it, and it really works. It was amazing. I had to talk to an owner-operator one day. They asked me to speak to him at this place where I got work done to the truck. And I didn't have but a minute. And I told him, start by doing that. I bumped into him like six months later, and he picked up over a model of the gallon just because he was writing hey, it down and made a game it, out of it. You just reminded me of something. I, I, I've been saying this for years. Well, ever since I created the software to track your fuel mileage, uh, the other thing I want to tell people about fuel gauges, the software we're talking about, it's free. It's a phone app. It's always been free. As far as I know, it's always going to be free. I don't see us ever needing to charge for that. Um, we have about 6 million fuel tickets in our system, and you can look at them all. You can look at every truck you want to look at. You can see everybody else's fuel economy. Uh, but one of the things I started doing, and I thought this was hilarious, I would people would call me and say, okay, you convinced me. I know I need to start working on fuel economy. What do I do first? And I would say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to download the app, Fuel Gauges. I want you to put in every fuel ticket as you're standing there at the pump. But 
I do not want you to change a single thing on your truck. I don't want you to change a single thing as as a driver. Do everything you've always done for the first 30 days, and that's going to give us our baseline average. You know what happened every time? They, When we would look at their 30-day history, they were improve. improving. They were improving oh, yeah. the whole time. And I would say, what are you doing? How are you improving? I don't know. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> All they were doing was focusing on fuel mileage and tracking it, and it started to get better. Yep. And, yep. and, and the thing worth changing first has to be able to be measured. There you go. That's where I was hey, going to go is just oh, um, go ahead. paying attention to the numbers changes everything. And, um, you know, I throw all my numbers out there. So for the first four months of the year, my fuel cost is 45 cents a mile. Nice. And that is 16.2% of my revenue. Excellent. I know, guys, that their fuel costs are over 25% of their revenue. Yes. Yeah. And I was going right to say now. that, too. Did you guys notice that over 22? Like my 21 numbers, I think I was like, 46 cents a mile for the year 22 i was close to 70 percent or 70 cents but 21 percent 21 i was 18 percent and now the first quarter this year i'm back into that 18 or so percent and down around that 46 ish range i can't remember the numbers exactly but that your cost per mile will vary depending on fuel price yes in the area of the country you're on, obviously. Your discount programs. Yeah, that's why it's a, a, a really good number to focus on. You know, I on the scan gauge, we programmed a feature into that, and, and we could never get it as simple as I wanted it to be. But I'm wondering if anybody uses it. There is a way on the scan gauge. You can put in the revenue per mile you're getting on your current trip, Put in the fuel price, and while you're driving, it will give you your net revenue per mile after fuel. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty complicated to figure I, that out. That, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it was too hard to – I may go back to that and see if I could come up with a way to simplify that because that could be such a powerful tool. Yeah, true. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, that's – yeah. When that came out, I had subtracted my fuel surcharge out of that. Oh, Yeah. So that number going down the road would actually go negative. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because once you take the fuel surcharge out and my fuel mileage got good enough, you know, I was spending negative numbers on fuel. That's one of the hardest things to try to try to get across to people. When I when I do that and I show the numbers and the fuel surcharge is up so high and their fuel economy is so good, and I will say, you are being paid to put fuel in your truck. Your fuel cost is not zero. It's less than zero. You're getting paid to put fuel in your truck. Yep. Well, Kevin, on that, my fuel surcharge right now is right in around 65 cents last I heard. Oh. And, <laughs> and well, mine starts at six cents. It's The rates are based yeah. on fuel costing nothing. But, right. but my last 90 days, my fuel cost is 31 cents a mile. So that's my part-time <laughs> job fueling my truck. Exactly. I don't mind exactly. lying on duty. You know, I make good money great. while I'm doing it. Great stuff. Love that. All right. we. Uh, I'm going to try bringing in the next speaker in line here. Uh, Mr. Jeep, it's your turn. Unmute your mic and talk to us. Hey, how y'all doing? 
Good. What's on your mind Doing today? Right. Just uh, my company. I finally got a different truck. It's a it's a D sixteen two thousand sixteen six hundred horsepower. I'm sorry. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I I think we I think we can help you. I have two techniques for this problem. Um, one, you I'll can. Uh, one, drive it into the hood. <laughs> Wherever you are, find the worst neighborhood you can find. Drive it into the hood. Have have some really valuable freight on there. Leave it running. Open the door and just walk away and get an Uber. Yeah. Well, it's still running. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, came, I had a D13 2013 for a while then I got a 2020 uh, with the PACR in it coming uh, Kenworth I didn't like that at all but got back into this now I'm just trying to figure out what RPM range to keep it in most apart what what do you do with this off. truck that has a D16 in it? What what kind of duty cycle? Well, it was like a heavy haul, like over a hundred thousand pound truck. So, okay, I was going uh, to say it definitely needs to be in a heavier haul application. Yeah, most of the time now, um, right now I've just got the dump trailer hooked to it, but it's always like seventy nine, eighty thousand pounds with that. All right, one of the big one of the big problems you're going to have with the D16 is is that, and this is why it's it's not here in the states anymore. That type of duty cycle, a, a diesel engine is happiest when it's running at about 80% um, of capacity, and you're not going to be anywhere close to that. So you're going to deal with, uh, you know, a, a cooled off combustion process, which is going to make a little bit more soot. Um, if you have after treatment stuff in it, it's going to be a problem because you're going to have a hard time keeping heat in the after treatment system. Um, that particular engine, because it was a heavy haul engine, isn't necessarily a downsped design per se. It makes horsepower at a little higher RPM because it was designed to pull loads up to 250,000 pounds. Um, so it becomes very problematic for your typical average user. So you've got to make sure that you're doing all the stuff right as far as adjusting uh, the overhead on it on a regular basis, keeping the exhaust plungers adjusted correctly on it. And essentially, you're going to just want to try and run that engine as low uh, RPM as possible in order to try to keep some heat in the thing. You, you're, you're definitely going to want it to work. You're not going to be wanting that thing up around 14 or 1500 RPM by any stretch of the imagination. And even when you do run it down around 1100 RPM, it will still be problematic because you're just not working that engine and there's no heat there and it, it things get dirty and sooty and it just creates all kinds of problems. It doesn't seem to use a lot of depth. I mean, I went like two weeks or so and I have probably like 2,500 miles and it, I just had to put depth in it yesterday. I like three points. Hey, so, hey, speaking so of which, let me, let me jump in there real quick. Uh, on fuel gauges, we are working on a, uh, a way that you could track your def consumption right with your truck. But for now, we have a kind of a dirty hack that works. Just create a second account since it's free. Take your truck name and add DEF to the end of it. And then you can use that second account to track your def consumption um, Joel, there's some there's some pretty good information in those numbers. Right? Well, there is right here, and, and his def is just kind of proving my point. So he says I'm not using a lot of def. That is an indication that there's not a lot of heat in that engine. Def specifically deals with uh, NOx. NOx is a byproduct of heat in the combustion system. 
I would have liked to have heard that I'm I'm using more not or more depth than what I think I should be. That would have told me that engine's running nice and hot in the combustion process, and you probably got some heat in the exhaust. You not using much depth is not a good thing, actually, in your case. Um, and, and so you may have some issues. You, you're definitely going to want to keep it at the low end of the RPM range. You should see your def usage actually come up when you do that because you're going to put some heat into the system, hopefully. And that will be an indication that you're kind of doing things right. When you're not using much def at all, um, That that's long-term that could be problematic because we're probably looking at higher soot levels, higher soot loads, and you're going to have less heat in in the uh, in the emission system. And then to top it all off, it's got terrible gears and two 355. <laughs> Well, and, and, and this is part of the reason. So when you're running at that elevated RPM, you're, you've got a great big, huge piston with great big, huge valves moving at a high rate of speed. And so if it takes you, let's say it takes you 200 horsepower on flat ground to pull your dump trailer at 55 mile an hour going down the road. All right. If you're running at elevated RPM, you are going to inject the same amount of fuel regardless if you're running at 1500 or if you're running at a thousand entire process so it is problematic you're increasing drag it's hurting the emission system everything truck is backwards and it's why kevin is looking at it going that thing's a piece of shit the engine is fine (laughs) it's how it's how we we spec it and what duty cycle we put it in that truck with 355s pulling 250,000 pounds is going to run all day and and on a sunday too i mean it's going to be fine but you're pulling a dump trailer with it that's not working the engine and we've got piston speed issues we've got we've got issue after issue after issue there it's not the base design of the issue or it, the base design is not the issue it's how it's being used and how it was specced yeah and then the uh, the d13 i had i mean it was 500 horsepower and it did great mm-hmm. you know and uh mm-hmm. but it's only got only 100 more horsepower <laughs> but it's a right. way bigger motor Right, right, and it, you've got a, a bunch of different things with that base architecture working, and it's 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 all working against you. So you you just need to be aware of that. If it's in the cards, if if you have the money to do it, uh, a re ratio. I actually had a D16 for a while, and it was on a 13 speed manual, and I put a 279 rear end gear in it, and it was phenomenal. Yeah. It done an excellent job. It's the company's truck. They they gave it to me, so I'm just gonna try to. Hey, much it, yep, <laughs> yep. That's all you can do is manage your speed at that point. That's all yeah. you can do. Um, if you can manage your speed, you'll you'll be fine. And um, uh, you know, it, probably people would never he- think they'd hear this coming out of my mouth. Here is a case, Kevin, where I think your catalyst and and Bruce's catalyst would make sense in an engine like this. <laughs> it's just completely ass backwards. You know what I mean? I, I, I agree. And that's really kind of what we've gotten to now. We can either spec and drive the truck right and not need additives. But if we have these other problems, well, well, let's use it. It's another tool that works in that case. It makes it better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it, just like, you know, when, when we talk about, you know, turbos and manifolds maybe being a Band-Aid. On a lot of trucks, that's all we have. Mm-hmm. That's right. Like, that's right. We go back to the pre-emission trucks, the late 90s, early 2000s, electronic the early series 60 the you know the the cats the n14 we modified those trucks heavily to get that nine and ten miles yes. per gallon you can still do it yes but we are doing all kinds of crazy modifications to those trucks 
Correct. Right, thanks for y'all's time. I'm just going to go back as listener now. <laughs> sure. You're welcome. I, 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 All I right. wanted to add the, uh, uh, what you were saying there. I mean, wow, congratulations that there's a driver that's driving somebody else's truck that took the time to call in to want to run somebody else's equipment more efficiently. That's that's awesome. Sir, do you good. need a job? Good. <laughs> <laughs> He'll get you out of a D sixteen, right? Good, right? good job. That's right. He's he's Jamie will make you a fuel mileage superstar. Go work for guaranteed. Him. There you go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Let me try to figure out who's supposed to be coming in here next. AJ, do you want to talk? Yeah, if you can but, get me, you got me. There you go. Go ahead. All right. Well, I got a couple of questions, but uh, you guys are going over your numbers, and I, so I brought mine up. And uh, for, not doing too bad. Thirty-nine cents a mile is my fuel cost. Uh, wow. Sixteen point seven nine percent of my uh, revenue. Yeah. Oh, great I fuel cost, nice and low. Realize. Yeah. That's yeah. Excellent. So I got it's a uh, seven point nine five on the ninety day. That's up from seven two that I was getting over the winter time running up here uh i do the same run for the past year new hampshire to michigan auto parts and it pays both ways uh empty racks on the way back auto parts mm -hmm. and racks and then empty racks on the way back so um but i i think i've just about got everything taken care of that i can do except for a tune and i want to think about the flow below kit on it so gotcha um, it, so just to just to address those two, um, the flow below because it's an aerodynamic device, got lots of testing, works well. One of the few aftermarket fuel products that ever got picked up by the OEMs. That that actually tells you a lot. Great product. We've been with them since they brought it out. Um, you you're you're going to get your gains when you put something like that on. It, it's just physics. The tune knows another matter. We, we tell people this all the time. I love tunes on engines that need them. Um, the tune I have right now on my Cat C13 is kind of awesome. Um, I'm going to tweak it a little bit for more economy. But the tunes on the Series 60s are nice. But you don't. we can't guarantee you're going to get fuel mileage out of a tune. We see people lose fuel mileage with the tune because they start to use too much of that horsepower all the time because it's fun. So that's yeah. the one you got to be careful with. If you use it right, many times we do see fuel economy gains, sometimes some big ones. Uh, but we also see people say, no, I actually lost a couple tons. Yeah, it's the last thing that uh, I want to do because I've been in the Pittsburgh Power many times and all I got to do is tell them, fire, you know, rip it in there and yeah. it'll take a couple minutes. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a 2014 uh, Cascadia with a DD15, and uh, it's aerodynamic. I think it's a revolution. It's got the air tabs on it. Came with it, but I got the trailer gap. It's a six by two, ten speed, two fifty gears. So it's a direct drive. Uh, run thirteen hundred so, so RPMs. It does sixty two miles an hour. That's what I run. I, I'm sh I'm sure Henry's going to have something to to comment on this, but just let me say, since understanding that you're a direct drive here, um, what is your average gross combination vehicle weight? All right, excellent question. So I run anywhere between 4,000 in the box to 16, 17,000 in the box. Okay, here's what I'm going to tell you. Your direct drive is killing you. This yeah. is where overdrive would really, really help your fuel efficiency. Yeah, you it it would before, take you to a whole, a whole other level, absolutely. So just, just something to bear in mind. Um, and because you're light, you really got to think uh, adding horsepower. What's the point when your horsepower demand is very low to begin with? 
That's why I haven't done that's it a good yet. Point also. about it too. So I'll yeah. burn, yeah. burn tires off the thing. I, that's that's most likely in your application because you're not geared optimally. If you throw a tune in on top of that, you're going to compound a problem. You haven't yeah, solved so. any problems. You're probably adding to that problem. So um, if if you ever had a chance to get that into an overdrive transmission, that would be absolutely phenomenal and then at that point you know you'd see what happens and then decide whether okay this thing makes sense to put a tune into it or not but uh yeah it's it's direct drive was i don't know man i was a i was a direct drive guy for years i, I really was that's all i bought and i got trapped as a fleet owner we got trapped by changing market conditions and it really hurt us <laughs> I mean, it really hurt us. We had to speed the trucks up because freight rates went up, fuel prices were down, business expanded, our hauls got longer, and we were in the shop all the time, and the guys were bitching about power, and it just became it became a problem. So um, uh, overdrive, if, if that's in the cards, you know, if it's not, then 62 and below with a yep. 250 is spot on. You, you got it. Yeah, I was uh, – uh, yeah, Kevin, first, I, Go ahead. Uh, 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 well, I, I didn't know what was going on. I was hearing half the conversation, but great to hear somebody with a Detroit. I ran that combination. What Joel said was 62. It's real happy. If you, if you could get yourself into an overdrive situation, which is complicated, you don't just bolt things into trucks anymore. But like now I'm running a 2.03 overall. I'm a 261, which is close to what you are, but with a 0.78 overdrive. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'd have to get with Joel in the future if I wanted to to do something like that. You know, make sure I got the right uh, starting, you know, gear and and all that stuff. But I'm not heavy, so I don't have to really worry too much about it. Yeah, uh, you're in a you're in a good you're in a good spot if that's a, a dedicated lane and you know it's going to be around a while. At that point, you can really look at it and dial the truck in for that specific lane. Um, generally, I tell people that's not a great idea because you know trucking everything changes. And you want to be adaptable, but you know if this is something that you've ran for years and years, and you're confident that it's going to stay, um, and since you're a six by two, the better option may be to try to find a 2.16 gear set or a 2.05 if it will fit in the axle housing, and and run it that way would also help. Either way is going to if, going to be an improvement for you. If he's running a Cascadia, as he says, with the 23,000 pound rear of its the Detroit housing, the farthest you could go is 228. Gotcha. Gotcha. Got it. All right. We're uh, we're going to move along. I'm trying to make sure I don't miss out. Which on would anything. be good with the speeds he's running, especially up in the sure. northeast. Sure. Absolutely. There you go. All right. We're, we're going to move on. I'm going to try to make sure we get to everybody here, and I'm still trying to manage the whole speaker thing here. Um, Wayland, you are up next. Uh, mute, Unmute your mic and uh, jump in with Kevin, us. if we don't have anybody talking right now, and I don't know if we do, but there for a while, I could not hear whoever it was you were doing. So, and all I was hearing was the yeps in between and the yeses. I wasn't hearing the conversation. I don't know what's going on with the system. Yeah, so the system can get a little wonky. Really, every space I have done so far, every one of them, I lose all of my audio. I can't hear anybody, and I'm mumbling to myself, but everybody can still hear me. Um, <laughs> The only way I've been able to fix it is to actually drop out of the space and reconnect. So yeah, there are some weird audio issues like that. But uh, can you hear me now, Kevin? It's Waylon. There you go. Yep, you're on. 
What's on your okay, mind thanks. Um, I just I talked to you about a month ago or so, just about your profit gauges. I just uh, I haven't been able to find that list where you itemize each different expense in the truck. You know where I just wonder if I call your care team if they'd be able to help me out with it. Do you think? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, second point, uh, Joel. It's Wayne. I emailed you the other day or sent you a message about that oil. We can't get that in Canada for some reason. I am still waiting for an email back from Chevron. Huh. But uh, yeah, that sucks. Now you you can run a um, a ten thirty semi synthetic as long as it's VDS four point five. Uh, you will not get the same fuel mileage out of it. Uh, you're going to lose about a percent and a half, and so that's probably what you've been running right along. I'm assuming. Correct? Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. You want to really stay away from the fifteen forties because the tolerance on those engines are so tight. I have actually yes. heard. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard of guys running 1540 and some of these new engines, they shut the truck off, it's cold in the morning, they go out and start it up, spin the main bearings because they, they're not getting any flow to them. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Good. Anyway, I'll just, I'll, I'll just keep you in the loop if I ever find anything out, just so you know, uh, for FYI. And, sure, I uh, appreciate it. If, if Jamie's still on, uh, Jamie, it's Wayne. I haul from the same place you do in Wayne, right, Alberta. Uh, oh, yeah. If you're there. I don't know if oh, he's yeah. there. Yeah, I'm still there. Yeah, anyway, yeah. we've... I've messaged you once or twice on uh, on uh, Facebook or something. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm a tanker yanker out of uh, Wainwright, Alberta there, yeah. So anyway, guys, I was more really just trying the system here today, and it works uh, well. Thanks, everybody, for all your input, and I'll uh, get back out of it and let somebody else come in. All righty. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Perfect. Some good economy Why up there in Wainwright. Why we're in between calls? <laughs> are you all hearing me? Because I'm only hearing half the conversation. <laughs> I hear you. Um, I've heard everybody. It seems like Kevin's probably dropped off for whatever reason. Therefore, oh, Jamie's I, here. Therefore, while actually, I wasn't didn't. hearing whoever the guest was, I was just hearing the yeps. And then actually, I did. didn't drop off. I, I, I was wandering around. I muted my mic and I forgot to unmute it. I've been talking, wondering why nobody's <laughs> responding to me. Oh, you were in the bathroom there for a while. I, yeah, water running. I, I went out, and, you know, went out and got a package, and I've been wandering around, had a snack. <laughs> oh shoot! Uh, so um, I, I was telling uh, Matthias he's up next. So Matthias, unmute your mic. Uh, you should be able to hear me this time, and uh, jump in and tell us what's on your mind today. I am here. Can you hear me? Yep. Go ahead. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, transmissions, transmission coolers. Um, older trucks, 13 speed. Uh, the truck I'm running, I'm doing mostly Western Canada, had a uh, transmission cooler on it that was just uh, a radiator out in the ambient air. And when we were running in the winter, minus 30, minus 40, transmission was just ice cold all the time. So I played around and uh, just deleted that cooler altogether just to get some temperature in the transmission, thinking it might improve efficiency. It does. Uh, now I'm at the point, uh, weather's turning warm. I'm bumping up to running 250 degrees, pulling up hills and going down hills on the jig. It's amazing, actually, how hot the transmission gets on that jig break. <laughs> so now, now I'm building a, another truck, uh, a 98 C12 Cat, 13-speed, uh, 308 gears in it. Um, I'm debating on just putting a regular ambient air cooler on again just because I have it or finding one 
that runs off the coolant so that I just got transmission temperature sitting right around 200 year round. That's what you want if you can get it is you want to be setting at that 200 degree year round. There will be an efficiency gain and it's a lot less screwing around. If you do put uh, an ambient air cooler out on it, um, maybe put a bypass in it so you can just flip a switch and bypass it in the wintertime. But uh, yeah, you want to you want to keep that in a very tight range. That 200 degrees is is a good place to be because it will it keeps your oil thin and it improves your efficiency, no doubt about it. And that's very important on the older manuals because they have a lot of oil in them and there's a lot of churning loss there. Okay, quick and easy. So, what are your thoughts on a 308 pulling 80 to 100,000 gross in the mountains, Western Canada? Uh, well, you've got a transmission, so it shouldn't be a problem at all. Um, 308, your startability should be just fine. Um, you know, you'll be you'll be down a gear probably over what your traditionally geared trucks will be, but it'll work fine. It'll improve your efficiency. It'll give you some flexibility. I have no problem with it at all. Okay, yeah, one I'm, thing, I'm one running. One thing to keep in mind now, if you're building your own truck, make sure that your drive line is rated for this because you will be rebuilding drive lines and putting carrier bearings and stuff in to make sure you've got a, a heavy duty drive line in it yeah no it was a heavy spec truck a canadian spec truck okay so i'm, right, I'm running yep, no, i'm running good. 391s running 391s right now on my current truck so i figured with the 308s at 55 i'll be right around 1400 just when i bought the truck it had 463s in it, believe it or not. <laughs> no, I believe it. I've seen some so, crazy stuff up there. That's right, yeah. Yep. Well, it was it was built to run northern Ontario at like 55 miles an hour up and down the hills all day long. Yep. So. Gotcha. Bought a truck at the auction that happened to have 308s in there, so I just swapped the rears out and sent the truck back to the auction, got my money back. So that's nice. what I did. But nice. There you go. Very good. Then I'll find me a transmission cooler and get to work. All righty. Sounds good. Thank you all. Great idea. I love that. Buy a truck from the auction. Take the parts off the thing. <laughs> hey, Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. Whoever owned that truck must have been one of your listeners because it was a camper hauler, uh, M11, 10-speed direct, and they singled it out. So it was a single wow. axle, but, but, but the second axle came with the truck. They just threw it on the pallet beside, so nobody wanted the truck. So I bought it, nice. sw swapped the gears out, threw my 463s in there. This was a 10-speed direct. Like, that truck was going oh 40 my miles. God. Oh, I was going 40 miles an hour. Oh I, I I wrote 463 on the on the housings just for my conscious okay. sake. Yeah. So and so yeah, I just bolted the second drive axle back in, turned it into a tandem again. Cost me about two hundred dollars in parts because everything nice. was there. Paid paid three grand for the truck. Swapped the diffs out and turned it into a tandem and sold it for six. So oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, you you, so, need, you deserve some sort of an award. I swear that's yeah. an awesome, awesome I like, job. I like playing around with stuff, but yeah. So yeah, I, he, he gets I, he gets the out of the box thinking trophy this this week. There you go. No doubt. You know, I I, I warn people: be be careful of spending a bunch of money on gear changes and transmissions. Make sure you've got it right. Make sure you've got enough time to recover all that cost to break even. You figured out a way to make money doing it. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, well, it's a the truck I'm building. It's got a drone box on it, so I get uh, it's a cab over, 11 foot drone box on it, so I get 20 percent more space nice. for cargo. Nice. And half the stuff I do, I get paid on volume. So, ah. 
This Beautiful. is the kind of thinking we love around here. Yeah, it's all fun. I'm going to jump out of here. Keep listening again. Thank you so much. All right, let me Thanks. see if we have. I don't think I see any other speakers holding. Um, I had a bunch. I don't know if I lost them or what happened. Uh, so, um, I, I think I'm about ready to wrap this up for today. I've been at this for a couple hours today, and it's Friday. So, I'm, I'm thinking a uh, couple final thoughts here. If anybody has anything they want to throw out, now we'll give a minute or two for anybody else to request to speak, and then we're probably going to wrap this up. Sure. What's up, Mike? quick final thought on my part um we'll go back to the whole attitude thing I, you know i being a geek i love to talk about the mechanicals of the truck and stuff but the reality of the situation is it's it's your your attitude and your outlook on on your industry and your day that's really going to be the deciding factor whether you succeed or not and ultimately that's what's important uh, it doesn't really necessarily come down to whose brand of truck and what gears. It's it's more your attitude. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to succeed. Once you have that part squared away, then you get to play with the with the fun stuff, the mechanical stuff, and really start to push the envelope a little bit. Great message. Great way to close. I like that. Joe, I'm agreeing with you, and I'm I'm wanting to think. That truck with 463 gears. My gosh, that could that could move a load. Maybe not fast. <laughs> Think of the torque multiplication to the rear tires down in the Holy cow. That, boy. Oh, yeah. Yikes. You know, are you moving the Empire State Building or something? You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we we a great farm truck. We, we could drag a trailer straight up the side of a building with that thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. All right. Um, I haven't seen any requests to speak or any questions, so uh, last final thoughts, and then we're out of here. Anybody else? I'll add in there that that is everything. Attitude is everything. Uh, one of the best books I've ever read was Extreme Ownership from Jocko Wilnick, and he talks about how in the Navy SEALs they can take a good leader – with a bad team and still do great things with it because the leader is uh got the positive attitude you know what i mean he's work constantly working constantly changing and that's what it comes down to you know that i mean joel's practically got a degree in 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 engineering at this point but i'm just some guy you know with a great attitude to open my mind and just listen to what him and henry have had to say all these years and you know bam here i am changing things and doing great things and that's what it takes just open-mindedness you know so let me make a point to that because i i agree with you on that there's a phrase i've used in the past that i think is really fitting here it's called standing on the shoulders of giants i think i got that from anthony robbins the idea being that you know you've got people here that like I said, several of us were well over a hundred years of experience of working on fuel economy. And then other people come along like you and say, well, I'm just a guy, but you, you took what we've built as the foundation and you're using it to reach even higher. But it only took the right attitude. You know? Good point. Right. Right. Just the willingness to say, look, I know this can work. I know it there, I should be doing this and I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to learn. And you're right. That's the start. If you don't have that attitude, you're not going to succeed at this. Uh, Kevin, at echoing on that positive thought that Jamie had, that's 
how I attack every day. Be the best you can on that day for those situations. And yeah. Myself personally, I just wake up in the morning and say, "There's no way in hell Henry's beat me today." <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's kind of funny. I say the same thing, kind of. Cool. <laughs> okay. hey, hey, guys, you're killing me here with this competition. I'm ready to put the phone down and go buy another truck. I, I feel like I'm missing out. Hey, I'm not competitive. Uh, Everybody always wants to say I'm competitive, you know. But you know, the colors of my truck are blue and gold, which is stands for actually blue ribbon and gold medal but i always tell him <laughs> there you I'm, go. Not, I'm not competitive as long as i'm winning there you go <laughs> there you, yeah that's exactly that's right. right that's right that's all right awesome. great stuff guys one one i have one quick uh final thought or question what do we think about continuing this show here in spaces i think it works well i think it worked well i had a little bit of problem there for a while i had to call back in because I was only hearing the in-between commentary, the, the yep, the okay, but I wasn't hearing the conversation. I don't know what happened. Yeah, it was a little we, bit of a glitch that way. We, we have had a couple of those audio dropout issues. We get those sometimes, you know, if I have internet connection issues here, if we're doing the app. So I, for me, I can tell you that this was really nice to have more of an open dialogue like this with everybody kind of jumping yeah. in. And, and everybody's audio is at the same level. We didn't have a lot of background noise anywhere. I, I think that the, the audio technology here for you guys that, you know, you're out on the road. I, I can't get you a bunch of good equipment. It'd be a pain in the ass. So for the fact that all you're doing is picking up your phone and logging in, this worked really well. Kevin, yeah. one suggestion here, if you can swing it. I would love to have one of the guys from Pittsburgh Power on with us, either Eric or Leroy. Yeah. Um, yeah we I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, obviously, those are the those guys are the de facto kings of some of the older technology, um, and and I listen to the shows, and sometimes there's there's a little bit of a struggle on some some things with the newer stuff because their clientele doesn't necessarily run the latest and greatest and have have direct access to engineers like like me and Henry Henry do. So it, it would be great to have either either or both of those guys on. I think it would bring a hell of a lot to the conversation and, and really help clear up some of the confusion between, you know, the mechanical stuff, the early electronic stuff, the early emission stuff, and what we're doing today. They're, them all fall in different buckets and require different strategies and thought processes, and, and I, I think I, it would just be great to have them on board with us. I, I think that's a great idea. I'll see. You know, they, they already commit, you know, three hours a week on Tuesdays. I get it. But, but I, get it. I, I think yep. I could get them because they, they – they love this stuff too. They want to keep learning. And, you know, you talked about the, the spectrum. Um, we're still talking about mechanical engines in some operations and it, and it makes sense for them. And then we right. do have those early emissions that I still have a, a warm spot in my heart for, you know, the early series sixties and the N14. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. still love those engines and, you know, they've certainly moved into the electronic world, but you're right in, in the new architecture, the new drive lines, um, mm -hmm. getting them exposed to this, I think would be really good. I, I think it helps everybody across the board when there's yeah. a, a full understanding of, 
of every kind of genre of engine that that we're we're talking about and they are significantly different and strategies are not the same and yeah not even and, close sure right yeah. right and you can't you can't sit and think about okay here's what i done with an 03406 um, i'm just going to apply <laughs> that to what i'm it's not going to work well and right there's there are right. very specific reasons why and you know we need to we need to have those conversations and and i'm sure you know there will be debates and arguments and that's the exact good type of stuff right. that we yeah. absolutely right. need yeah yeah i agree joel adding to what you said and i'll speak for you but i'm sure mm -hmm. we'd both be glad to join during the, their time if 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 they wanted as well yeah at, at yeah that, that would go both ways I, I i would have no problem doing that if they have something specifically they want to talk about volvo or, or freightliner wise on the newer stuff um, I would have no problem with that. We'll I'll work on that because I, I like that idea. And you're right. That sometimes the debate and the argument is where we learn the most. So it's it's always, to do that. always, right. always. I've learned that over the years. I mean, sometimes shit gets really heated. And right. then after you, after you step back and think about it, both sides just learn something. You know yep. what I mean? And and so absolutely 100%. I I'm I'm all for that. I I uh, I've learned over the years that those heated conversations and debates often yield very very nice results uh, at the it, end of the day. You know, one of the best examples of that is the very first year I was on the air, the first couple of months, and I was talking about fuel economy and horsepower and I was actually talking about turning some of these things down. And mm -hmm. and Pittsburgh Power started getting phone calls. Who's this idiot on the air talking, telling everybody to do this, do this, run overdrive or direct drive? And, and they, they got enough phone calls that I can remember coming into my studio when I was still in Denver. I sat down getting ready to do my show, and I'm new at this. I, it was, I was only a couple months in. And I knew who Bruce Melanson was. I had known who he was for years, but I had never talked to him. He didn't know who I was. So I sit down and I look at my board and the first caller on the line is Bruce Mallinson. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, boy, <laughs> what's this all about? <laughs> sure. It, and sure. Bruce was a total gentleman, came in and said, look, I, I think you've got some things wrong here on horsepower. And, you know, I agree with you on direct drive. I've been recommending that for years. And it, what it turned out to be was everybody thought we were just going to fight and be at each other's throats. And it, it turned out to be a great conversation. Bruce and I are great friends now, traveled together, and I, I've learned a lot from him. And for the most part, Bruce has got a wide open mind. I mean, if, if you can show him, here it is. He gets it. And I've seen him, you know, take on new stuff constantly. Yeah, there's there's there there are some significant differences with with uh, the very latest technology yes. yep. on how you need to look at things and and um, we just want to make sure we're getting the right message nope. out there. The bottom line is we're trying to help owner operators and Absolutely. we want them to have the both sides of the story, so to speak, or the entire picture, so they can make decisions based on yep. what they think is best. And and there there's some. There's some cool stuff out there. So Yeah, you know, one of the things I think Bruce got absolutely right, uh, when we started talking about electronic engines and we started sending mechanics back to school to learn how to work on electronic engines, and, and it was a struggle. It still is a struggle for a lot of these guys. Sure. Um, Bruce took a totally different approach. He didn't take his old school mechanics and try to turn them into electrical engineers. 
He mm-hmm. went to the best colleges and interviewed people until he found young electrical engineers that were gearheads. Mm-hmm. They might have been into cars or motorcycles or whatever, but they understood turning wrenches. And, and he then brought them in and taught them how to work on trucks. And it, mm-hmm. it has really been incredible. He's got an amazing engineering department there. It makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, so I I like that. One other thing, then we're going to wrap this up. Um, Anybody listening here on Spaces that's new to all of us, first time you've heard us or maybe you've been listening to us here for last week or two, I want to let you know we are live on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday. I start at 8 o'clock in the morning Pacific time. We always start right on time to the second. We never know when we're going to end. I, I don't have a hard end time. Sometimes it's an hour. Sometimes it's three and a half. I think I'm coming up on three hours today. Um, some of our shows originate from our app. Some of our shows will originate here on Twitter Spaces. But if you get our app, you can listen to every show live, including the Twitter Spaces. We're live right now on our app. And our app stores every episode so you can listen to it forever they're organized by show i'll give you a quick rundown of our shows and our content monday we call it a free-for-all call and ask me anything i usually don't have guests on monday we leave it open so the callers can ask anything they want all three hours tuesday is the power hour all day that's pittsburgh power we get bruce 40 some years experience with diesel engines um we get usually Leroy's with us. He's there, just a great electrical engineer and a really good gearhead, too. Um, shout out to Leroy. He was the one that helped me the most when I had to put that damn charger cooler in my coach. That was not a fun job. Uh, but Leroy made it a whole lot easier. He's, he is a real gearhead. I mean, for an electrical engineer, that guy's great with wrench. So um, we get one other really good mechanic in there. Uh, so you get three people who work on trucks all day long and have for years and i just kind of direct traffic uh wednesday all health all day long truck driver health how to be healthy over the road how to eat how to cook all kinds of crazy stuff we're fermenting vegetables making yogurt it's kind of a weird show for a trucking show but people love it and we've helped a lot of people get healthy thursdays Thursdays are kind of all over the map right now. Um, we got a free-for-all hour. Jamie and I do a Twitter roundup. We have Rolling Toe, which is all about tires and alignment. Um, Friday, you just heard it. This is Friday. We, we talk about efficiency. I did a, a free-for-all hour this morning on the app. Then we moved over here. So it's a big schedule. We got a lot of stuff going on all week. All you've got to do is get the app. You can listen every day or listen whenever you want. Go to your app store. And just search Let's Truck and you'll find it. So just to add to that real quick, when Kevin says free-for-all, he means it. I mean, at one point we were talking about nude gardening on a free-for-all. We were. So, That's so right. just, a, just about anything. That <laughs> 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 probably pop-up wasn't the best freaking description to use, but uh, uh, <laughs> just about anything will happen on those shows. And they're, they're, they're a blast at times. So We have fun with those, yeah. So great stuff. All right. I thank you guys so much, all the speakers that jumped in and joined us. You guys, you know, Henry, uh, Joel, Jamie, Matt, who else did we have in here? You guys I kind of consider as co-host. These are the fuel mileage superstars. They're they're kind of rotating co-host on the show. Joel, you're here every week. Henry, you've been really consistent. You're here every week. So 
Um, thank we just you, guys. Get, we just got to get John back in the mix. I know. What happened? Has anybody talked to John? Hey, you know what? It's that damn Ferrari thing. Like, that's a big deal, right? Hey, uh, come on. Yeah, just because they fly him over to Italy. And, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, he has to on. be accommodating. He, come on, he, man. He, he, he dropped us like an old bag of potatoes. <laughs> For a Ferrari. Could you I imagine? Sheesh. <laughs> so, yeah, since, we, you know, you, you John Walco, uh, I'll give everybody John's history real quick. Um, John started working for Bruce at Pittsburgh Power when he was like 16 years old. He was already into racing cars and all kinds of stuff and just got a really sharp mind when it comes to engineering. Uh, he spent quite a bit of time at Pittsburgh Power really trucks and then ended up in the race world. And, and he's been in the race world for 20 or 30 years. He runs his own um, race kind of consulting, engineering. Race teams will fly him out at the last minute to solve a problem engineers couldn't fix. And he got involved in this big Ferrari deal and we haven't heard him since, but he'll be back. And he's just, just a great addition to the show. Great guy, but I don't think potato chip bag was the right description. I kind of think we got dropped like an old diaper bag. <laughs> <laughs> ain't, ain't that the yeah. truth? <laughs> yeah, well, well, sometimes a lot of people would say that's fitting anyway because they think we're full of shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Awesome. All right. Awesome show, all right. guys. It was. Thank you. And uh, thanks to all the people who were brave enough to jump in and ask a question. I know sometimes it's a little nerve wracking and people did it. And that's what makes the show good. So thanks to everybody. Have a great holiday weekend. And uh, we'll see you back here next Tuesday. That'll be my next live show.